Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Monday, July the 2nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we have yet another clue pointing towards a definitive reason for the Jarvis Landry and Jay Ajayi exodus. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll honor Bobby Bonilla Day by talking about the worst contracts in Dolphins history. And I recap my shenanigans from the weekend up in Seattle. But first... I kindly invite each and every one of you guys that have not done so already to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Tuned In, wherever you're getting your podcast from. Give us a rating, give us a review. That's how these podcasts are judged, helps the podcast grow up the charts, and gets me in better favor with the boss of the network. So please do that if you haven't done so already. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the most read, the most frequently posted in blog on the Lockdown Network. And of course, the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts like the Lockdown Heat Podcast and Lockdown NFL Podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. As I'm sure you guys that are NBA fans will not want to miss all the podcasts that are coming up right now because I know that the NBA is pretty crazy this time of year and LeBron James did just sign with the Los Angeles Lakers. So crazy time in the NBA. So do yourself a favor and subscribe yourself to the podcast of your liking in the NBA side of the network. All right, guys, let's go ahead and talk about some Dolphins football and my weekend in Seattle here on First Down, a Lockdown Dolphins podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins So if it sounds like I'm attempting to manufacture some energy for the podcast, it's because I am. I'm I'm tired. I spent the weekend in Seattle with my fiance going to a couple of Mariners games. You guys recall on Friday's show, I was very excited about it and hopeful that they would come away with wins. They did in both those games, despite falling behind 3-0 in the first inning on Saturday night. But I tell you what, man, I'm, I'm almost 31 years old. I'll be 31 in October. And... I just don't recover the way I used to, and I know that's probably the case for a lot of my listeners on the podcast and a lot of you guys out there, that it's one night of drinking on a weekend and it takes the entire next day to get yourself healed up, and that's where I'm at these days. I used to be able to like just just drink like crazy and then off four or five hours of sleep, go right back at it the next day like around noon for the bachelor parties and all the stuff that you did in your mid to late 20s, or at least that I did. And now I'm at a point where I have to have specific drinks to even be able to get through the entire day without just being too hammered or or wanting to fall asleep, whatever it is. And I make these little energy drinks slash vodka drinks. So I get Tito's vodka and I get Rockstar lemonade. It's basically lemonade with, with Rockstar in it and ginger beer. And it's basically like a little, a little mule, a vodka mule. I made a bunch of those and was just going to town on it and had a fifth of Tito's in the course of two days. I know that doesn't sound like a lot for probably some of you guys, but for me it is. We had that going on, the edibles, the edible candies were going on too. So just a cocktail of fun up in Seattle. And my, I, some, of my, some of you guys probably don't know much about how I interact with one another with you guys on Twitter and stuff when it comes to the actual Dolphins games because you guys are probably new to the podcast, weren't around for my Twitter following last year, which was a lot smaller than it is now. But 
I, I tend to get a little bit pessimistic when things aren't going well. <laughs> and then the first inning of the game, it, it was shown by someone in the stands. Felix gives up three runs. He gives up a single back-to-back singles and then a home run. And then I hear a, a voice behind me after he gets his first out because I'm not standing up and chanting for the strikeout like we do in the Kings court when Felix Hernandez pitches for the Mariners. And he says, I already gave up on your team, huh, Travis? And I look back, and it's none other than a, a Dolphins fan and fellow Locked On listener, Noah DuPont. And if you guys don't know Noah on Twitter, he is at Noah's a dork, a good Twitter handle there. Now, Noah claims that he's a daily listener every single day. So Noah, if you're lying, I'm going to know it because I expect a shout out on Twitter for this shout out on the show. So he calls me out, but he came down and talked to me a little bit. We got to talk some Dolphins football as well as some Mariners baseball. That was a good time. Got to meet the fiance and all that stuff. And Noah, if I said anything inappropriate, like I said, I'm blaming the Tito's and the edibles for that. So good to meet you, man. Glad we got to do that. I hope I can do that with more fans and listeners of the podcast and Dolphins fans as well. It was one hell of a weekend and one that did not involve a modicum of Dolphins news whatsoever. And if you guys are like me, it probably drives you crazy when a podcast ignores the very topic that they cover. So we're going to get into some Dolphins news here next on the podcast, talking about worst contracts in Dolphins history. We'll do that next. Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. This is the July the 2nd episode of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are moving right along into the last month before football is back in our lives. And in honor of July 1st, as I record this podcast on Sunday night, in honor of Bobby Bonilla Day, for those of you guys that are not familiar, Bobby Bonilla signed a massive contract with the New York Mets back in the early 2000s, I think it was. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one. And he was so terrible that they bought his contract out. And he bought it out basically like a lifetime annuity, like something that would mature over the course of your lifetime. And so he gets $1.19 million every single year through the year 2035. So getting a million bucks a year on July 1st every year, basically until he dies, or he'll probably outlive that, but you get the idea until he's very old. And it got to me thinking about some of the bad contracts the Dolphins have delved out, whether it's their own guys or free agents alike. And it's not really as bad as you would expect, but it's still a pretty bad list. I considered adding coaches, like some of the coaches, like Dave Wanstead and Tony Sperano, getting those contract extensions the year before they were ultimately fired. But I decided let's just go ahead and keep it to the players and not get into the coaches and just go ahead and talk about the guys between the lines. And the first one up here is a guy that, I probably dislike more than most, and it's because of his just complete inability to do anything else besides run fast. You guys know who I'm talking about. Five years, $65 million for Mike Wallace to come to Miami, drop a whole bunch of passes, single-handedly create a narrative that Ryan Tannehill is not accurate throwing the football down the field, which has been proven to be completely wrong time in and time out. And Wallace is a punk on Twitter. He came at me one time for saying something on Twitter that wasn't even really about him. He just... He was never a true Dolphin to me, and the fact that he got out after a couple of years and the Dolphins were so quick to get rid of him just kind of tells you what type of player he was and what type of character he was. And that big contract that he got was supposed to get from Pittsburgh. He didn't accept it. They turned around and handed it to Antonio Brown, who turns out to be one of the best five receivers ever to play the game, in my opinion, and then we're stuck with Mike Wallace. So he was awful, mainly because of the volume of that contract. 
and what people expected out of him to be a number one receiver, which he never, he was never going to be that. He's just not that kind of guy. So the other one that I have here for receivers, or actually I have three receivers here back to back to back, but this one is in the same year. The same year they gave Mike Wallace a contract, they extended Brian Hartline for five years for $30 million, and Hartline got phased out of the offense almost immediately in 2013, 2014, and he was a complete afterthought once Jarvis Landry entered the fold in 2014. So Brian Hartline got a contract that was worth more APY at the time than Golden Tate, who was one of the best receivers for what he does in terms of a slot, a guy that can break a lot of tackles, make plays after the catch. He got money less than what Brian Hartline got from the Dolphins when he went to Detroit. So that's kind of where I measure that contract up to is a player that is still just balling in Detroit versus Brian Hartline, who was gone to Cleveland and then out of the league within a couple of years after that. The next one is another receiver. And I don't know if I want to call this one bad because they got draft picks in return, even though the trade was on pennies for the dollar, considering what they gave up to get Brandon Marshall. But Brandon Marshall signed a four-year, $47.5 million deal. He had a lot of drop passes. Obviously, he wasn't didn't have his head screwed on quite right at that time. I think the Miami incident and the Miami era, the two-year era that he had in Miami, really led him to look at some lifestyle changes he had to make and do some self-evaluation. So we got the back end of Brandon Marshall, basically the one team that he was not very good for. He had some good years for the Broncos, had that one big year for the Bears, had a one big year for the Jets, and he didn't really do that in Miami. So forget him. He moves on. Big contract. Didn't work out. The next grouping of players is just that. I took three guys, and I put them all together because I don't want to go into each of them. They're current players. The 2017 contract deals for Kiko Alonso, Andre Branch, and TJ McDonald. We've talked about all those three players ad nauseum on the podcast here because it's relevant to the team today but TJ's contract after seeing him run around in the preseason in shorts and training camp was just completely ill-advised can understand that move and it makes even less sense now that the Dolphins have Rashad Jones and Mika Fitzpatrick hopefully a pair of pro bowlers back there Kiko Alonso gets an extension after a half of a season of seeing him get a couple of takeaways I mean he wasn't really stellar in the running game or against the pass and, and coverage in certain spots but he had a couple of big plays and takeaways and had made some big time plays that changed the course of that season. So I understand that, but still just, I don't know what the hell they were thinking there. And then Andre Branch getting three years, $27 million to rack up what, I think since he had like the five sacks that he had through the first 10 or 11 games in 2016, he maybe has like two or three sacks since then. So pretty astronomical what happened with that group of players. They are still here. I imagine each one of those players will be gone in 2019. Going down the list even further, another wide receiver, and I consider leaving this guy off the list because it was a small figure, but Ernest Wilford was supposed to be the Dolphins' number number one wide receiver when the Dolphins signed him away from Jacksonville in 2007, and he couldn't even get on the field. By, by 2008, he was gone, wasn't even on the team anymore, and he was a guy that was supposed to come in and be like a, the big possession receiver to kind of help John Beck ease along. If that name makes you guys a little bit queasy, it should. That entire year was just a mess of roster acquisitions. It talks about how, or just speaks to how bad that roster was from a talent standpoint. Up next is da- uh, Damian McIntosh, the left tackle. They got six years, $23 million to be one of the worst offensive linemen in the league at the time. Consistently getting our quarterbacks beat up, a big reason why the Dolphins were kind of in search for a left tackle play up until they found Jake Long, but McIntosh led right into that, and he was just a tire fire out there at left tackle. Fellow offensive lineman, a Bill Parcells guy, center Jake Grove, the oft-injured Jake Grove, got four years, $28 million. He didn't do 
anything for the Dolphins, was just constantly hurt like he always was and was gone within a year or two. So didn't work out for him there. And then Jabril Wilson, another Bill Parcells signing, believe it or not, five years, $27 million, couldn't even keep a starting spot for more than a year. He was supposed to come in and kind of run this revamped quarters coverage the Dolphins wanted to do. It didn't work out. Jabril Wilson finds himself on the unemployment line quickly thereafter. So it hasn't been that bad, I guess. That's not that that terrible of a list of players, but there was a couple of guys that I could have put on there that I passed over, like Richard Marshall, for instance, the cornerback that came over and was gone after a year as well. And they had minimal impacts on the field, but mainly just the fact that it was a minimal size contract. And I know Ernest Wilford falls into that category, but I had to get him on there because of what he was supposed to be as a number one wide receiver, even though his money said otherwise. But in all honesty, I think he might be the best symbolism for just how bad that roster was in the mid to late 2000s when Bill Parcells got there. Obviously, the 08 team wound up winning a division, but there was a lot of deficiencies within that roster. But yeah, this Bobby Bonilla day is a good one. And you can look at some of these bad contracts and it kind of makes you cringe because I remember looking back at some of these myself when they got signed and being like, oh, that's cool. I'm I'm glad we got that guy. I was actually pumped for Ernest Wilford when I was, what, 21 years old. Just thought it was awesome. And it clearly did not work out that way. But luckily now it feels like the team might be over giving away some of the bad money, giving out the bad contracts. We'll see. The jury is still clearly out on this cast of newcomers from this season. But in our final segment here on the podcast, I'm going to explain to you guys why we've gotten yet another piece for the groundwork for this purge and it all making sense and coming together. So we'll do that next on Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winkle NFL at Locked On Fins. Pulling into segment three in the podcast here for July 2nd, the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And if you guys have been with me all offseason, you've heard me talk about several of the same themes. And one of those themes is playing fast and getting into this no-huddle offense and just doing everything with urgency and a sense of purpose for the offense, as well as the defense, but particularly the offense. And there was a comment that Pete Prisco made talking about Jarvis Landry and how he basically single-handedly put a stop to the no-huddle offense when he was here. And Ryan Tannehill, for what his numbers are in splits for no-huddle versus versus a huddle are clearly in favor of the no huddle. And you might say, well, that's when they have the garbage time, the end of the half, the end of the game, when teams are kind of backing off and you're in a hurry up situation and you're picking up yardage at an easy rate. Well, you look at some of the the no huddle in the Seattle Seahawks game, for instance, at the end of that game, that's not garbage time. That is a game winning drive. He's succeeding there. The New England Patriots game, same situation there. They were in no huddle for most of that game as well. And Jarvis Landry, for whatever reason, didn't like the no huddle and couldn't make it happen for him. And, it just speaks to an idea of them jettisoning, jettisoning both Landry and Ajayi because Ajayi, in his own right, was limited in what he could do both from a running play standpoint. He wanted to run outside zone, didn't want to put in other plays into the playbook, and it made the Dolphins very limited, and you knew exactly what they were running when he was on the field. And also from the standpoint that he was just offered nothing as a pass catcher because he just didn't have the footwork, couldn't get things right, was a terrible, sloppy route runner. So these two guys in concert making things difficult on Adam Gase to operate the scheme that he wants and to institute the things that he was hired to bring to Miami, i.e. great play calling and a phenomenal playbook that capitalizes on mismatches. And when you have these two guys that are so ingrained in what they do and so unversatile in their ability to go to be diverse across schemes it makes total sense and then you ask yourself why would they go out and get Danny Amendola and Albert Wilson and I think that right there is your answer these two guys come in here they're going to run the right routes they're going to hit their landmarks they're going to be in and out of breaks they're going to be able to do things from every position they're going to know all the positions all the route combinations and what they're supposed to do at particular spots there 
And that's something you didn't have with Landry and Ajayi. So the idea this year is that obviously Ryan Tannehill coming back helps the offense in more ways than one. Obviously with the communication and, and the talent over Cutler is the big one. But you can also see where some of these moves and Adam Gaze actually being able to be the hot commodity that he was when the Dolphins hired him. Now it's all about Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan and Adam Gaze is taking a backseat to these guys despite the fact that he was them a year ago, led the team to the playoffs, loses his quarterback, and now he's back to being the guy that might even get fired allegedly from these Vegas gambling sites. But Adam Gaze was brought here to institute this offense that he can just it can be seamless from week to week it can be adaptable from week to week and it can have a different star every single week so that's kind of where the idea goes there it's not about selfish guys and you hear Adam Gaze talk about it all off season and I like the group we have here this is the best group we've had the most comfortable I've felt in terms of calling my offense with this personnel so it's I'm excited about it I think it points in the positive direction it all makes sense it all adds up when you factor in everything that goes into the offseason it all points to that one thing I've been writing about it all year on LockedOnDolphins.com been talking about it on the podcast all offseason so the theme just continues and it makes me feel better and more confident about my own predictions and trusting in my own eyes and giving you guys the information that I find for myself and that that I truly believe to be what is happening with this organization so That's about it for the podcast today, guys. I know I keep saying this, but July might actually slow down for me in terms of how often I post the podcast, how often I write. It's going to be a very busy season this year, and I should probably, for my own sake, maybe take a little bit of a mental break and get myself ready for training camp and the preseason and the regular season when it's just going to be a full go every single day, long episodes, talking relevant content for the Miami Dolphins. I will actually be in Los Angeles for the first couple of days of training camp practices, but I'm still going to have you guys covered. I'll bring my podcast gear down there and go ahead and post shows for you guys every day, get you caught up on everything from practice, including the beat writer tweets, including the uh, post-practice press conferences, all that stuff. Good times are coming. We are close. We are just now 25 days away from training camp kicking off and the return of the 2018 football season. As far as the opening day countdown goes, I would be remiss if I did not mention the fact that we are 69 days away from opening nine. Very nice. So that's where we are now. It's July 2nd. We're going to have more podcasts for you guys this week. Probably not going to have a show for you on the 4th. And with it being on a Wednesday, I know schedules are probably weird for everybody this week. So the podcast might take a bit of a break. We do have a big time guest coming on the show for next week. We'll talk about that more later in the week. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. You guys be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on TuneIn, wherever you get your podcast from. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fans and follow our flagship show at Locked On NFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. Check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a terrific rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.